Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Second Peter chapter 1. Now, you're going to, as we go along here for a few moments, you'll figure out my rhyme and reason for doing things this way. I would say 90% of people that have received through our ministry has done it, has received by working of a gift or a manifestation of the Spirit or obedience to what God says about especially ministering to the sick, the ministry of the laying on of hands. Now, about 10% of people and this is trying to summarize about 30-something years of ministry, have just received by simple faith, just believing God, just right there where they sat, you know, no spectacular manifestation of an anointing, no, uh, you know, no move of the Spirit, so to speak. Of course, we know the Spirit of God is involved in that, in bringing that into manifestation. But just for no better for, for lack of a better explanation, just taking God at His Word. Amen? You know, the first time I saw this, I'd been in ministry maybe three or four years. I'd been married to Leah about a year or so. And we were up at Pastor Randy Ayer's church in, in Grosbeck and just teaching on faith. You know, the Lord spoke to me recently. He said, now, Rusty, begin to lean toward your strength. He said, what do you mean by that? My strength is teaching faith. Always has been. I've taught it all over the world. And so just in teaching on faith, I remember a Tuesday night, we would always, after the meeting, we would go back to the back, shake hands with people as they left, and then Randy and I would go in the the back and fellowship, talk about, you know, lunch the next day, different things. And and so as we exited, as we came out, there was an usher standing there, and there was a a lady standing there, looked to be elderly, probably in her 70s. And she said to us, she said, you know, my eyes were blinded with cataracts. She said, I couldn't see, you know, hardly my hand in front of my face. She said, I would have my, my uh, uh, relatives would drop me off at the meeting. Usher would take me by my arm, sit me in my seat. He said, but just hearing what you taught, I just said to myself, I think I'll receive that. She said, no, I didn't say it out loud. I just said it in my heart. I think, she said, when I said it, the cataracts just dropped off my eyes. Now, that, that was years and years ago, but listen, we had another lady. And it's amazing that both of these things happened uh, with people's eyes. We had another lady that was blind and sat on the front row because the light off of the screen gave her a reference point. She wasn't totally blind. She could see a little bit of the, of the, of the light. You know, when they put the words up, their announcements up, things like that, that light would give her a reference point of where she was. We're sitting somewhere else in the auditorium. She wouldn't have had that light. And, and sitting there at the end of a service, she just received her healing. And literally just, her eyes just popped open. And, and she ran to the back because they were putting up some words because the praise team was going to sing, a, uh, sing a, a song for an altar call. And she could read those words as clearly from the back as she could from the front. Which, which shows us that really the best way to receive from God is by faith just to claim what God has given you. 
Now, a couple of outstanding testimonies. Now, I don't call them outstanding because of the result. I call them outstanding because of what God did in supernatural manifestation. One of them, Brother Hagin speaks of, of a woman in one of his pastorates that they prayed for that was bound in a wheelchair. And they had prayed and the prayer team had prayed. And he saw in a vision the prayer team marching down to these people's house and ministering to this woman. And the power of God hit her in such a spectacular way that it lifted her up out of her wheelchair. And she hovered in the air three feet off the wheelchair as all of those people sat there with their eyes open and saw it. And the woman began to go, oh, 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 and reach back and look for that wheelchair. And found it and pulled it back up under her. And he said, when she did that, Brother Hagin said, I said, you don't have a lick of faith, do you? She said, no, I don't. And she said, that woman was dead in two weeks. And with a spectacular manifestation like that. And another minister I knew was praying with a missionary that had gotten a disease. And this disease was killing this missionary. And as he was praying, Jesus manifested himself and had his arms open like this, says, I'm here to heal him. And he couldn't convince him of it with that spectacular manifestation of the Spirit, where other people just take God at His Word. Now, in 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, we've used this scripture so many times, but I want to bring it back and reference it back to when I, uh, you that were here Wednesday night, when we preached on uh, the difference between a promise made and a promise given. Now, let me just say this, kind of referencing that, because we're going to refer to that today also. I felt like you needed to hear this. The problem we have many times with faith is this. We pray and we try to get ourselves mentally, how can I say this? Mentally tuned in to believing that God is going to do something. Amen? That does not work. Faith does not work by mentally assenting that I've prayed, now God is going to do something. No, faith is based on what God has already done. He's already done it. Now, when, when man fell in the garden, Genesis chapter 3 gives us a very detailed, how can I say this, a very detailed description of man's fall, eating of the fruit that God commanded him not to eat of. God said, in the day that you eat of, you shall surely die. We know that that, that death was not physical death. That death was what we call spiritual death, which is separation from God, which led to physical death and then eventually eternal death, led to all of that junk. Amen. And then we know through that all kinds of sickness, disease, addictions, everything that's wrong with the world and wrong with humanity came in through that. But then right on the, right on the heels of that, God made a promise. He didn't give a promise, He made a promise. He said the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Literally means that the, that, that the seed of the woman shall remove the authority of this serpent that came into the garden and took the authority of mankind back. But what happened was over a course of about 4,000 years, as God began to add to that promise, He began to make that promise stronger and stronger. He began to make it stronger and stronger till even to the point that there was a people that lived in the light of the promise made. Are you with me? who became a strong people, who defeated their enemies, who had the wealthiest king that ever lived, and they were still living in the light of a promise made, not a promise given. But one day, 2,000 years ago, in the hills of Bethlehem, a little virgin girl conceived in her womb, Emmanuel, which is God with us, 
and the promise made became the promise given. Come on, church. The promise made became the promise given. Now, you can make a promise to someone, and a promise made does not encapsulate within it the ability to fulfill that promise. It's just a hope. But a promise given encapsulates within it all of the provision of the promise that was given. Now, let me read you a little bit about promises. I looked it up. I studied. I've been doing this lately. What is actually a promise? A promise is a declaration that one will do something or refrain from doing something that is specified. It is a legal binding declaration that gives the person who made it the right to expect or claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act. I like this last part. A promise is a ground for an expectation. Now, where we get into conflicts, and I don't like to be in conflict with people, especially Christianity, because I am a Christian. How many Christians we have in here? means Christ-like. They made that term up in Antioch. Now listen, where we get into, into conflict with the subject of faith, there's this term, well, he's a person of faith. I watched a movie one time, and, and they talked about this individual being a person of faith. He wasn't no more a person of faith than a man in the moon. He was just a person that adhered to that there was a God. Now, most people that would attend a church or, or, or have a Bible or even dare to read it are, are referred to as people of faith, which means they just believe there is a God. But in reality, that's not what we are. We are actually people that view the Word of God as something that by faith can be applied. Now, here's where we get the most criticism. Most people that study Christianity and most of our pastors and ministers that go to our theological seminaries, many of them will go up to 12 years to obtain a, a doctorate degree in theology. They're taught in the theological seminaries of our nation that there is an element of sovereignty to God, that everything is already a done deal. It's already laid out. You know, kind of what's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, there's no really intervention that man can do. Uh, there's no really, uh, you know, anything that man can do to stop uh, the, quote, sovereignty of God of that which is laid out. And in reality, to try to do it in any way is heresy or blasphemy. Amen? And then they, or they how can you say, they, 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 they relegate all of the activity on the planet as being the will of God. Now, now, you think about that for a minute, because even insurance agencies will write in to their policies an act of God, and it always is something that's destructive. Well, that was an act of God. Well, that was an act of God. Well, that was an act of God. Having no understanding whatsoever of who God is or what His Word says. Amen? So most of the people that are highly educated in what we call theology, they have an intellectual relationship with the Word of God, but not a spiritual relationship. Now let me say that again. They have an intellectual relationship with the Word of God or they have an intellectual adherence to the Word of God, but they don't have anything spiritual. The majority of Christianity does not even believe that you need to be, quote, born again. 
Amen? If you don't believe it, go, stuck, go get on the websites of your major denominations. There is a couple of major denominations that, that that is their message is the new birth, being born again. But in reality, they also liken that unto you being born again is all wrapped up into the sovereignty of God. There's going to be people that will come to the church. They'll get saved and God always destined them to be saved. But there'll be other people God hasn't destined them to be saved. So they're doomed. They're going to end up going to hell. Well, if that's true, what are we doing here? Amen. I thank God for the people that came after me. I thank God for the people that won my family to the Lord. You say, well, that was all wrapped up in the sovereignty of God. No, it wasn't. Somebody made a decision to spend money, to preach the gospel, to have a church, to preach a message, to see it demonstrated so that me and my family could get born again. Amen. The Bible says, now listen, the Bible says whosoever. So all you got to be is a whosoever. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So all you got to be is in the category of whosoever. God doesn't save one and leave another to go to hell. He, he calls whosoever. Listen, the gospel being preached is the invitation to the world to get born again. You say, well, does God know who's going to get born again and who's not? I don't know. I don't leave. I don't try to think on things that are bigger than my thinking. Some people, some people think, you know, like the Bible says, some people think of themselves a little more highly than they ought to. I heard, the, I heard a guy say this the other day. I thought it was pretty good. He says, you know, there are people out there that if you could buy them for what they're worth and then sell them for what they think they're worth, you could really make a lot of money. <laughs> Amen. Well, I try not to be like that, amen. I try to just be what I'm worth. So things that I don't have understanding of, I don't try to get out there. But all I know is this. We need to be busy in the harvest, reaping souls. I told somebody this the other day. We don't want anybody from somebody else's church. We want the harvest. We want the precious fruit of the earth. We're going to have some things coming up in the fall, some things that we're gearing up that's going to be totally geared toward winning souls. I was praying the other day, we're going to do a fishing tournament in November because in November the flounders run and, and I've been praying about it. I kept feeling something in my spirit. So I was praying. I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me a phrase. You're going to have to give me something. You're going to have to show me something that will connect something as, as, as mundane as catching a fifth fish to the harvest. The Lord spoke to me. He said, you need to name it Fisherman Fishing for Men. So we're going to do Island Church First Annual Flounder Fishing Tournament, Fisherman Fishing for Men. And we're going to invite the whole community to participate. We're going to give away all kinds of neat prizes. We're going to probably bring them next door and have a big fish fry. And we're going to preach the gospel and believe God to throw the net and catch a bunch of men. Amen. We're going to start gearing a lot of stuff in that direction, in that way. You say, why? Because there is an enormous amount of people out there that in the sovereignty of God, God sent His Son Jesus to die for them, to bleed for them, to shed His blood for them. And they need to hear the message and be born again. Now, always understand that the gospel that we preach is a choice on your behalf to take the power of this word and make direct application of it to your life. At any moment, you could be healed. Now, let me say that again. At any moment, you can be healed. So people think like this. All right, Lord, I can be healed. I'm waiting on you. <laughs> That's why it probably won't be this moment. That's why I'm going to teach you. Amen. 
At any moment, you can be healed. You say how? By accepting it. Your acceptance by faith of that which God has already done is your faith in operation, taking that which God has already given because His promises are given promises, not promises made. If God made a promise to heal you, then you would have to wait on the Lord. But He has given us a promise, therefore you don't have to wait. All you have to do is believe you receive, and as you believe you receive, you shall have it in Jesus' name. Now notice what it says. First Peter, verse 2, grace and peace. Second Peter, oh, why do I keep getting hung? Something, must, must be something in First Peter I need to go read. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and, and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power. Now notice this. According as His divine power. Now notice the next word, half. Everybody say half. Now, all through the letters to the church, and let me say this, the place in the Bible that is most relevant to you as a believer in 2018 are the letters to the church. Now let me say that again. The, the, the place in the Bible that's most relevant to you as a believer in 2018 are the book of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd, uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy. What, I'm missing some here. I get ahead of myself. Jude, uh, 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 Philemon, uh, uh, Hebrews, um, uh, the book of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Those are letters written to you. Now let me say that again. Those are letters written to you. The rest of the Bible is written for you. But those are letters written to you. I heard a story of a man one time. I thought it was pretty neat. He, 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 he wanted to get an understanding of the book of Ephesians. And he just, he read it. He read it in different translations. He wrote it. He did his best to memorize most of it. And he, still, he, said, he said he just struggled. He said, so what he did is he got out his pen and he got some notebook paper and he wrote down the book of Ephesians, and everywhere there was a pronoun, he took the pronoun out and put his name there. And he said after he finished doing that, he folded it up, and he put it in an envelope, and he addressed it to himself. And on the return address, he just wrote God. That's all he wrote was God. So he told his wife, I'm going to get a letter from God. She said, you're crazy. He told the postman, I'm going to get a letter from God. He said, you're crazy. He told everybody he knew, I'm going to get a letter from God. Took him two days. He said, for two days, I was walking around telling everybody, I'm going to get a letter from God. I'm going to get a letter from God. I'm going to get a letter from God. He said, finally, here the postman came. He said, you know what? You got a letter from God. He said, I was so excited. He said, I ran in my house. I opened up and I read it. He said, I had perfect understanding of the book of Ephesians. You know what he did? He gave Jesus real person status in his life. The half of God. Show us what God hath already done for us that we can tap into by faith in order to appropriate his provision to bring aid and comfort to us and give glory to him. So he hath. Now notice this. He hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now right there, you should just run around and shout that God 
through Jesus Christ hath given us all things, number one, that pertain unto what? Life. Well, what pertains unto your life? See, what happens is people get so super spiritual that, well, you know, and they try to think of, uh, you know, uh, clouds and angels. I, listen, you can't buy groceries with a cloud. You need a little money, amen? You think of the things that pertain unto life. That word right there is the word zoe, Z-O-E, which in the Greek literally means the kind of life that God Himself enjoys. A life without pain, come on. A life without hurt, a life, a life without poverty, a life without depression, a life without addiction, a life without hopelessness. I'm going to tell you, if you need direction and purpose in life, the best place to get it is from God. Amen. I'm telling you, He'll give you direction. He'll give you purpose. That thing we watched the other day, I was so moved by that. I was telling Sister Ella uh, on Lakewood's website, uh, Jonathan Osteen, who is John Osteen's uh, grandson, who is Joel's uh, uh, son. He did, a, a, I guess it was on Father's Day, a tribute to dreamers. How many have seen that? That's, that's so awesome. You need to go see that. And he talked about people who started out in obscurity. First he talked about Martin Luther King and how he had a dream for equality in our nation. He talked about, about Mother Teresa and talked about how she had a dream to help the hurting and the dying of Calcutta. Of uh, Not Calcutta, where was she at? Maybe it was Calcutta. Anyway, the hurting and the dying. Then, 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 then he came to the big one, Brother John Osteen. And how he was just began in life as less than nothing. He was the son of a sharecropper. Uh, I like what he said because I heard Brother Osteen say it many times. He said, when they gave away the basket at Christmas time, you know, the basket with the turkey in it, the basket with the uh, pumpkin pie in it, the basket with the fixings in it, and they always look for the poorest family to give it to, he said, we got it every year. <laughs> he said, we got it every year. And no hope whatsoever. No, no, no purpose in life. Just drifting through life. But, 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 he, but he kept having these thoughts about God and time and eternity and how God began to deal with him as a 17-year-old boy. And a friend of his took him to church and he got born again. And he said even at that early age, he began to dream of himself preaching to thousands and thousands of people. He said there were no churches of thousands of people. But he kept the dream alive and kept the dream alive. See, God will give you a dream. He'll give you a vision. He'll give you a purpose. He'll give you a destiny. And what we do is we look at people like Brother Osteen and others. Oh, look at that. Well, God's got just as much for you. They just pursued it and went after it. You've got to pursue it and go after it. He hath given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. The problem is most people don't nurture their dreams. They don't nurture it. I've been dreaming lately. I want to tell you about my dreams I've been having. I told Leah, you know, the Bible says young men have visions. Old men dream dreams. I must be getting old. <laughs> yeah. I, saw, I saw our office. I saw our office. I knew it was a God gift. I, I, I walked into the office and I looked around. Our office is back here and I looked around and it was stuffed. It was just full of, of, of carpet samples and, and, and floor tiles and, and, and boards and seats and all this kind of... And it was just... And in, in runs Leah. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need, and she runs out into my dream. I thought to myself, somebody ought to clean up this office. 
And the Lord spoke to me and said, you won't be there long. And another dream I had, I was up preaching in front of thousands of people. And, and the front row was all these people that were dressed terrible. I was up there in a nice suit and tie and everything. And they were dressed terrible. And they pulled out cigars. And they started smoking them and blowing the smoke at me. And I just got enraged. And I took off in a rage. And I started with their cigars. And I ended up in the way they were dressed. And through the smoke walked a man. And he walked through the smoke and he was dressed in the gaudiest gold coat I'd ever seen in my life. And he had a collar on like a priest. And he had this little, this little mustache with this little goatee. Goatee. Well, is that what you call him? Goatee. And he looked at me with these beady little eyes and he said, you can't say that. And I screamed as loud as I can. Yes, I can. And I woke up out of my dream. So don't come sit on the front row and blow smoke at me. <laughs> Amen. Well, you got to wake your dreams up. I said, you got to wake your dreams up according as his divine power has given it. Not some intellectual stimulation, not some religious mindset, but his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us, I love this part, exceeding great and precious promises. Now, I didn't say they've been made, they've been given. Amen. They've been given. I used the illustration Wednesday night. I talked about Brother Chris. I said, Brother Chris needs $1,000. So if I made him a promise, that means I don't have $1,000. So, Chris, I'd like to ha help you. You know, I promise you, when I get $1,000, I'll give you a call. We'll talk about it. Well, he'll know I made him a promise. And so he has what I would call a human hope toward that. But now if I said to Chris, now, Chris, I promise you, I got $1,000. I'm going to go take 100, uh, 10 $100 bills. I'm going to put them in an envelope. I'm going to put them in my desk. And when you need it, you call me. Now, he could go all over the place telling everybody, well, I know somebody got $1,000 for me. But it's not until he calls for that that it's going to come into his life. Now, God has already put it in an envelope. Here it is right here. Here's your envelope full of the promises of God. I said, here's, you're going to go look at that in just a moment, where it says over in Corinthians, all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. Salvation is a promise given. That's why you're born again. Let me try that again. Salvation is a promise given. That's why you're born again. They went and waited for the promise made. In Acts chapter 1. Then in Acts chapter 2, the promise made became the promise given and the church was baptized in the power of God. Amen. In Acts chapter 3, we see the promise that was made in Isaiah chapter 53 that by His stripes we would be healed. We see that promise that was made and Jesus took that upon Himself and the promise made became the promise given and they spoke to the man at the gate, rise, get up. And the Bible says He leaped and He ran into the temple running, jumping and praising God. Now here's, here's now, now, I know, because sometimes when you start get connected teaching or preaching, you can hear thoughts. Here is the problem. It's just not that easy. Quit saying that. It's just not that easy to get out of a wheelchair. Quit saying that. 
It's just not e that easy to prosper. Quit saying that. Begin to say, it's easy. It's easy. It was easy to get born again. It's easy to get healed. It's easy to obey God. It's easy to serve God. It's easy to get the good things of God into your life. You've got to begin to say that because as long as you reckon it as being hard, it will be impossible. Because your adversary will make every effort to try to make it hard. But when you begin to say, you know, thank God the promises of God have been given unto me. They belong to me. God backs it up with all the structure of heaven. He has given me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. A deposit has been made. Now think about this. Hebrews 11 says, speaking of what we call the heroes of faith, who lived on a promise made. Now think about that. Not a promise given. They look forward to the day in which Jesus would die and raise from the dead. Amen? And the Bible says of all those heroes of faith, David, Moses, Joshua, Solomon, all of them, they all died in faith having not received the promise. Well, it wasn't the promise of health. It wasn't the promise of prosperity. They were healthy and prospered on a promise made. I said they were healthy and prosperous on a promise made and died in faith. They were bold enough, they were strong enough to die in faith knowing one day Messiah will come. One day Messiah will shed His blood. One day Messiah will cleanse the heart. And one day we'll enter into heaven itself. Amen. That's why when they died, they went into the bowels of the earth. They went down into what the Bible calls Abraham's bosom. But one day, Jesus Christ, after suffering three days and three nights, the Bible says He rose from the dead. He spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly. And all of a sudden, He stepped over into where Abraham's bosom was. And He said, here we go, boys. I'm ready to take all y'all to heaven. And the promise they died in faith, having not yet received, became the promise given. And they all gathered up with Jesus and went to heaven. Mm-mm-mm. Whereby are given unto us, given unto us, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this corruption that is in this world through lust. Now, if you will, let me see, I got it marked here. Go over to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, I got plenty of time. Glory to God. That's because we want to do it a little different today. I want to give you a reason to believe God. Now, verse 20. I had written, I don't know how many translations Wednesday night when we taught on this. It says, For all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. Now let's read that again. It says, For all the promises of God are in Him, yea. Everybody say, yea. yea. And in Him, amen. Everybody say, amen. amen. Now that means, so be it. Everybody say, so be it. That's, that's when somebody gets up and declares, by His stripes, you were healed. You ought to say, so be it. That's why when we take the offering and somebody gets up and says, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, you ought to go, so be it. Amen. Now, listen to it amplified. For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes answer in Him, Christ. Now listen to that again. 
For as many are the promises of God, they all find their yes answer in Him. That means whatever God has promised. Now, <laughs> bless his heart. I heard this guy. He came in. It was, it was not a church. It was a, a prayer meeting I was in. And the guy's a lay minister. He's from a church up north. And he came and he preached on faith. And I was in Bible school at the time, and he preached a message on faith. And the more he preached it, the more, you know, I like what Brother Hagin used to say. It's like kind of washing your feet with your socks on. I knew something wasn't right. You know, and he just kept going on and going on and going on. And, and he said, he ended his message with this. He said, and he had the number, 6,000, I forget how many he said, but thousands of promises. He says, now listen, there's all these promises in the Bible. And every promise has a condition to it. And if you will meet that condition, then you will get that promise. And I thought to myself, you know, just being a Bible, I thought, man, thousands of promises. Every promise has a condition. My goodness, I'm going to wear myself out. Every promise. And I begin to think and think, and I, uh, man, that, it just perplexed me. And I just was like, then all of a sudden, about two weeks later in Bible school, one of our teachers, uh, Rachel Birchfield, got up and taught on this scripture. And I, when she said it, it just erupted in my spirit. She said, I'm telling you, and she named the number, some 4,000. There's some 4,000 promises in the, God, in the Word of God. And all the promises are conditional. But the good news, everybody say the good news. The good news is that condition is only one for all the promises. <laughs> Amen. That condition is only one for all the promises. You say, what is that? All you got to do is get in Christ. He is the yes. He is the amen. He is the so be it to every promise from salvation to healing to deliverance to whatever it is you need to your calling to your destiny to your peace, your righteousness, your joy. He is the so be it to all of the promises in the Bible. I had somebody challenge me years ago. I think it was when we got into the, to the little uh, storefront over there on 45th Street that we began to do Psalms 91 at the end of the service. And I had somebody challenged. He said, well, you can't do that. It's an Old Testament promise. I was already ready. I said, what you going to do with 2 Corinthians 1.20? He said, what do you mean? It says all the promises. I said, it says all the promises. It says all the promises. So I'm going to claim Psalms 91 because the Bible says all the promises. We have our, how many know our blood scripture? Anybody know our blood scripture when somebody's bleeding or somebody got problems with their blood? When I passed by thee, Ezekiel 16, 6. When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, live. You say, well, that, that's talking about Israel. That's talking, I said, but all the promises. Come on, church. I said, but all the promises of God. The Bible says over in Deuteronomy, he'll give you the, the ability to obtain wealth so that his covenant may be established. Well, Pastor, that's old covenant. That's old. I'm telling you, all the promises of God are in him. Yes, in him, so be it. To the glory of God by us. That means if we don't get them, God gets no glory. But as we get them, God gets the glory. A promise made is yet to be fulfilled. A promise given carries the full weight of the provision and awaits the reception of the one needing the provision. You've got a promise of healing. What are you going to do about it? You've got a promise of salvation if you're not born again. What are you going to do about it? 
You've got a promise of prosperity. That's why every week we, we take an offering. We use the scripture. We allow people to give. We allow them to tithe. We allow them to offer. And we still tell people all the time, the money issue is not an issue between you and the church. It's one between you and your God. If you want to prosper, if you want to receive the promise, and people that get off on tithing say, well, you know, that tithing thing, that's under the law. You know, the Bible says if you'll tithe, the devourer will be rebuked. It says that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. It says that he'll rebuke the devourer. He'll rebuke, he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And it said your seed will not cast itself before its time in the field. I like that promise. I said, I like that promise. I like my seeds to produce fruit. I like to have a good garden planted in my spirit. I like financial blessing. I like spiritual blessing. I like, I like yeah, health and healing blessings. I like all the blessings of God. So I tithe so my seed won't be corrupted. I tithe so the windows of heaven will be open. I tithe so that my seed will not cast itself before its time. And I tithe because God stands up in heaven and says, get off of rusty stuff. I rebuke you. He's a tither. thought I'd mention that on tithing. <laughs> Go to Hebrews real quick and we'll close this down. Hebrews chapter 6. Just a couple of scriptures here. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 9, but beloved... We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Notice that. I love that phrase. And things that accompany salvation. Well, when I die, I get to go to heaven, but I guess I just have to live in hell on this earth. No, there are things that accompany your salvation. Through we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit promises. Now all the stories we tell, all the, all the, the illustrations we give of our own life, the lifestyle that we live out in front of our church, the lifestyle that we live out in front of the international community that we preach to, the lifestyle that we live in the, in the conferences where we go get to be a, a speaker and a, and a minister in these conferences. Listen, that is literally a lifestyle lived by faith in which Lee and I, by the mercy of God, have been able to have enough understanding in the Word to appropriate promises in our lives to live. I mean, it would have just been, if we could have just lived because of our past, if we could have just been alive for a few more years, that would have been a blessing enough. But the fact that we cannot just survive, oh, glory, but thrive. That's where people are missing it. You're just trying to survive that sickness or disease. When God wants you to thrive because you're healed. You're just trying to survive some little financial setback. When God wants you to thrive in your finances. Amen. So we've lived it out as an example. And those that we set before you, our fall harvest conference this year, we're going we're to name it, this is not your ordinary conference. 
And we're going to play clips of Brother Osteen. We're going to play clips of Brother Hagen. We're going to play clips of T.L. Osborne. We're going to play clips of Brother Shambach. We're going to play clips of Brother Goodwin. We're going to play clips of different men and women of God that have been our mentors and our spiritual fathers. That have fed into our vision. That has spoken into our desire and dream. And we're going to stir all that stuff up. You say, why? Because they lived a life in front of us uncompromisingly righteous before God, standing in faith in the worst of circumstances. When death sentences were given, they stood and said, we'll get our miracle. When it was impossible to build buildings, they said, we'll build buildings and we'll do it by cash. When they said it was impossible to go to the world and reach it with these messages of revelation, they did it anyway and God blessed them and they revolutionized and changed the world. When that iron curtain fell over in Russia, It was people that believed in the word of faith that rushed into that nation. One church alone, a friend of mine that I know, they raised up over 6,000 churches in two years. You don't do that because of intellectual ability or theological insight. You do that because faith released the glory and the power of God. And through faith, they inherited promises. Now, real quick, Hebrews 10. Is this helping anybody this morning? Hebrews chapter 10, we've read this many times, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good scripture to bring in right here. Cast not therefore away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now notice how the will of God and the promise of God are tied together. Everybody say the will of God. The promise of God. God doesn't want to heal you so you can go play badminton better than you used to. He doesn't want to prosper your finances so you can go and just, you know, enjoy your money. A lot of people, that's that's one of the hard issues that they have when it comes to prosperity. Is that, man, I want God to bless me. I want God to do this and that. And then God blesses you and then God says, I want your money. People don't like that. But if you're willing to connect the will of God... To the promises of God. Because many times that's the hindrance to fulfilling or receiving the promise. I tell you, I, I, I didn't know how much grace God had toward me. And how much mercy He had toward me when I ran from God. He called me to preach when I was 17 and I ran the opposite direction. And His grace and His mercy and His, His, His ultimate compassion kept me from dying. I should have died so many times. So many times. And I came back to God thinking that, you know, there's nothing left. I'll serve God for a few years till I die and go to heaven. But as far as those, those mysterious things that were spoken to me as a young person, those mysterious things that I witnessed as a young person growing up in the kingdom of God, all of that, as far as that concerned, I've probably done uh, uh, everything you could do to disqualify myself and stop anything from, like that from happening. When I came back from God, I was, I'll tell you, I was humble and meek and, and you know, I was willing just to, to, to I was looking for a good uh, janitor's job. Would have been happy to have it. But people begin to come. F.E. Ward, he was one of them. Different ones. B.B. Hankins, his son Mark. Uh, others begin to come. And they begin to speak prophetically into my life. And they begin to wake up the will of God. I knew what the will of God was. That tormented me for years when I was away from God. It tormented me, knowing that I was supposed to be doing this, but I was doing this. But as the will of God began to wake up, 
as the will of God begin to wake up, the provision of God begin to come. And that is the number one area where the enemy is going to try to inhibit your faith. He will say, okay, you can listen to that preacher and he can teach and he can preach and he can rant and he can rave and he can talk about faith, he can talk about dreams, he can talk about, he can talk about all of that. But you've got your own life to live. He may want some of your money. But you've got your own life to live. But you know, I found a scripture in the Bible. It says you're not your own. You're bought with a price. And that price was awesome. And when you begin to figure out that there is a will of God for every area of your life, and your submission to that will, that's the hard part. The faith is not the hard part. The receiving from God is not the hard part. It is crucifying your own ambition, crucifying your own ego, crucifying that which you desire and yielding to that which God wants. That's where your fight takes place. And that's where you must come to a place in life where you humble yourself before God, you submit yourself to His will, and you say, Heavenly Father, not my will, but Thine be done. The Bible says that Jesus sweated great drops of blood over that one issue. You say, well, if he, if he couldn't do it, I can't. He did it, though. And the will of God for him included suffering and dying and punishment and things that our mind cannot even imagine of. But it also included resurrection and life and power and a name given to him that is above every name. Where at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow in heaven and earth and things under the earth. And Jesus became the promise given by God so that we can fall right in line with everything that God desires for us. You're not too young. You're not too old. You've not had so many failures that you cannot recover and step right back into the will of God and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my prosperity. Thank you for my deliverance. Thank you for my joy. Thank you for my peace. But more than any of that, I want the will of God for my life. That which you speak, that which I see in the Word, and that which you speak into my heart and spirit. And if you will do that, you will see how simple and easy faith is and how quickly it will work on your behalf. Now let me say this. I pray over the church generally. God brings people in front of my face. I pray for specifically. But I could say for just about almost anyone in here, there's probably been a time, unless you're visiting, if you come on a regular basis, there's been a time in which I have specifically prayed for you. As your pastor. Pastors ought to do that. Don't you think? And I think every time that I've prayed for people in certain situations, it's always been up in my spirit that has come up. Just pray that they'll yield to me. Pray that they'll yield to my will. Pray that they'll yield to what I desire to do in their life. Pray that they'll yield to that. Because sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes you think it's too big, but God will never start you out that way. He'll just, he just wants one step. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are order. Of the, he's just looking for someone to take a step. Amen. I'm going to say this in closing. This is not critical of anybody, but it's, it's to help you. If you feel like in your life you're stuck in a routine or a rut, 
And although there has been blessings of God and, 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 and God has done certain things through his mercy and, and all that. But, but as far as really just, just living in the zoe of God and, and, and in the joy that that brings and in the, and, and in the, uh, the, the security, the eternal reality of, of God's got you in the palm of his hands. And he's, he, every step you take, he's the one that's, that's giving you the strength to put your foot out and make the step. And then your steps get quicker and you go from, from walking to running and running to flying. And, and God just blesses your life. And wherever you apply your faith, you see something working there and God's working here and there. If, if you're living outside of that realm, it's not a faith issue. It's not a you believing God issue for healing or for prosperity. It is a will issue. It is a will of God issue. God doesn't like for His children to repeat the same old thing over and over and over and over and live in a lifestyle and live in a way in which they have no joy, they have no peace, they love God, they care about God, they want God, but there's this issue of you doing what God says specifically in your life. And here's the fear. Here's the fear. What if I try it, but that's not it? In my life, this was my answer. One day, in the prayer room at Lakewood Church, in the early spring of 1985, amongst a bunch of old prayer warriors, most of them probably two times to three times older than I was, I made extra effort. I got up at 4 o'clock every morning so I could get there and get to the prayer room and pray for an hour before Bible school. That, that means you want it. I said, that means you want it. And in that prayer, I prayed this. Lord, whatever your will is for my life, I don't care how many times I mess up or how many times I miss it, I'm, gonna qu I'm not going to quit pursuing that will until I find it. And the Holy Ghost spoke something so gentle to, to, to my spirit. He said, that's 99% of being in my will. The other 1% is finding and obeying me. But 99% is making that consecration I don't care how many times I fail. I don't care if I try to do this and it doesn't work. I try to do this and it doesn't work. I try to do that. I try to be in field ministry. I try to be a missionary. I try to pastor. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it till I find out what it is that is your plan and will for my life. And it didn't take long. The Lord spoke to me. I never forget. You know God will give you things that will just... He knows how to help you. So the Lord spoke to me. About three, four weeks after this, I was in a meeting. I was ministering to the full gospel businessmen. Had a Saturday night full gospel businessmen. Uh, they'd do a banquet and then you'd share your testimony. Then I had a little church uh, that I was going to preach in on Sunday morning. Then I had to get back to be in Bible school on Monday. And, and so in prayer, in between those two services that night, the Lord spoke to me. He said, now I'm going to open doors for you to go into the field. That meant to travel, to go into field ministry. He said, now here's what I want you to realize, though. He said, I don't want you to build it. He said, don't build it. He said, go to churches where I open the door and do everything you can do to help build that church. And then he said this. He said, because the last great thing that I do in this dispensation on this earth, I'm going to do it in and through the local church. It's not going to happen in Canvas cathedrals. 
It's not going to happen in, in, in hotel ballrooms. It's not going to happen in great sports stadiums. It's going to happen in and it's going to happen through local churches. So I was like, I wrote it all down. I was like, well, okay, God's given me an assignment. Well, about September of that year, I was at a meeting at Lakewood Church. And Brother Kenneth E. Hagan was there. Place was packed. And Brother Hagan got up and said this. He said, God's, everybody's been asking me, what's God saying? What's God going to do? What's God saying? What's God, God going to do? He said, I'll tell you what God's going to do. He said, the Lord visited me and said unto me, that in the last days as I wrap this up, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do in and through the local church. I went, glory to God. <laughs> Amen. And he began to talk about how God was going to raise up strong local churches that are effective. Now, let me just say something to you, Island Church. We're so much more effective than we are big. And if I have a choice, I'd rather be effective than big. But because we are effective, we will be big. You understand what I'm saying? And when I began to realize how God was going to build into the structure of the local church everything necessary to handle not only the teaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, but the supernatural and the miraculous. And it's as true as the day as I spoke it unto those that would hear it. That it is my bride, it is my body, she shall be glorious upon the earth. And for those that would try to alter and those that would try to take and do it another way, well, they'll do their own thing and they'll do it their own way. But there will be a remnant of those that will be a part of something supernatural in the earth. That when it is looked at from the outside in, a question will be asked, how do they do that? And the only answer will be, they found a promise, and His name is Jesus. And He shall be glorified, and He shall be magnified. And the supernatural shall be a manifestation like it has not been on the earth in history. But it shall cause the culmination of all things to come to a conclusion, and the end shall come. So be ready, for those days are upon you. And live righteously unto me, and seek my will for your life. For for each and every one that would sit here today and hear, I have that which is specific, that which is unique, and that which will fit your life. So don't reject it, but rejoice you're hearing it even now. For it is your destiny to walk in it in the last of these last days. Hallelujah. Now lift your hands and thank God. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Oh, how we thank you, Father. How we worship you, Lord God. We bless your name for you're holy. We bless your name for you're righteous. I release faith in this congregation right now. For you said, Lord, the same spirit of faith, which is corporate, as together we worship now, for that faith to activate in people to receive healing to receive blessing, to receive breakthrough, to get right with God, to even be saved or born again. And today,
in Jesus' name. Our faith is in the promise given. For you have given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that through the precious promises of God, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, put your hands down, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Nobody looking around. If you're here today, the promise of salvation is so powerful. Ever since Jesus has been risen from the dead, the first salvation message ever preached resulted in 3,000 people receiving the life of God. A couple of thousand years before that, the law was given. As Moses came down the mount and gave the law, 3,000 died. But when Peter preached on the law of the spirit of life in Christ, 3,000 were saved. And ever since then, year after year, decade after decade, there were some years where it looked like it just went into obscurity, the dark ages. But still a small light was lit. And then beginning in about mid-1700s, into the 1800s, the 1900s, Satan ramped up his, his resistance to it with world wars and poverty and famine and hate and communism and all kinds of garbage. But in the midst of it, more and more people, more and more people were hearing the glorious message. And the message was not, God's going to save you. The message was, He has saved you. All you have to do is to receive what God has done for you. And in the church, many that received it grew cold, got indifferent, fell out of fellowship with God, not realizing and recognizing that salvation is more than an experience, it's a life to live. And so out of fellowship with God, thinking that God had deserted them, that God did not like them, that God hated them for some reason, that they had committed some sin that had segregated or separated them from God, they became prodigal in their heart. If that's you today, that's all a lie. God loves you. And He welcomes you back. And He loves you and draws you to His heart like an only son or child that has been lost and now He's found. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not born again. I'm not saved. Or you say, I've been saved, but I've, I've fallen out of fellowship with God. I'm not living right. Or, or I'm not doing right. I need to be right with God. I want to be right with God. First of all, let me just say this. I know we have this, I know we have this mindset many times that God gets mad at us. You ever thought that to yourself? And you think, God's just mad. I messed up. I did this. I did that. <laughs> hey, I've been there, done that. But on the other side of that, this is what I found out. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants every aspect of your life blessed. He wants you out of that wheelchair. He wants the power of God to touch your life. See, we th sometimes we think these things are so impossible, but they're not. So what we're going to do is we're going to obey the Word of God. That's where our strength is. That's where our hope is. That's where our faith is. The most powerful thing and the most valuable thing that we possess, we already possess it. It's not a material thing. It's a human aspect. You say, what can I have that's, that, that's more valuable than any material thing? It's your Word. 
Your word is so powerful that if you had a billion dollars in the bank, you could go down with your word and with one word from you, you could say, give it all away, I don't want it. Or you could say, invest it in this, invest, see how powerful your words are, over more valuable than money. God requires we take Him at His word. And because of that, He takes us at His word, at our word. When we give our word to God, you know what He does? He didn't go, ah, they gave it to me last month. Doesn't make any he says, I take them. I take them at their word. So that's what we're going to do. Church, you're going to help us? We're going to give Him words. Now when we finish giving Him words, we're going to settle it. That we're right with God. Everything's okay. No matter what problem we're facing in life, God's going to be our answer. Amen? So out loud, right now. Heavenly Father, right now, openly and publicly, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, God. You sent your Son, Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, did it all for me. I believe it. I receive it. I confess it. Heavenly Father, you know me better than I know myself. You know my weaknesses, my inabilities, and my failures. But my faith is in your blood, which has already cleansed me from all sin and all unrighteousness. I'm born again. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creature. I'll never be the same. My life is changing. My health is changing. My finances are changing. I will serve the Lord with all of my heart. Jesus is my Lord, my deliverer, and my healer. Thank you, Father. As I stand in the altar of Island Church, July the 1st, 2018, I am right with God. Thank you, Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, let me give you just, just three simple things. Number one, that book. I've lived out of that book for 34 years. That's where your strength is. That's where your money is. That's where your health is. That's where your deliverance is. Everything you need is right there in the Word of God. It is the promises of God given unto us. Secondly, talk to God. There's a spiritual term for it called prayer. I, I made a statement today and I didn't expound on it. I taught on it on Wednesday night. Give Jesus real person status in your, in your life. If I wanted to get to know you or to know you or to know you or to know you or to know you, what would I do? I'd call you on the phone and say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? You're going to go fishing today? You're going to hang out at the beach? What are you going to do today? Man, go play some ball? What do you want to do? And I'd do that day after day. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be giving you real person status in my life. I wouldn't come up to say, thou art so good. <laughs> All religious and spiritual, you know. Sometimes you just got to go, Lord, what's going on today? I got up and this happened, that happened, this happened. I mean, you got to just be real. Give Jesus real person status in your life. And I guarantee you, he'll give you the ability to accept him as a real person in your life. Third, you need a family. It's not black. It's not Hispanic. It's not male, female. It's a blood-washed family. Everyone needs a church. Remember what I said earlier about how God showed us the last thing God's going to do on this earth. How He's going to do it in and through the local New Testament church. Church is full of the Holy Ghost. Church is full of power. Now every person in here, if you're suffering with an attack of the enemy upon your body, if you can do it, lay your hand on your body right now. Just lay your hand on your body, wherever it's at, whatever attack may be. Lay your, lay your own hand on your body. 
The Bible said believers would lay hands. You're a believer, aren't you? Now say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I receive the promise given. It is mine. You're not going to heal me. You have already healed me. I know the Scriptures. You spoke the Scriptures. But today, I claim it. I claim it. And from today forward, every time I think about or feel or sense anything in my body in disarray, all I'm going to do is worship you and praise you and glorify your name and exalt you and thank you. I believe. I receive healing from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet and I shall have it. I shall have it. I shall have it in Jesus' name. Now rejoice and thank God. Come on, rejoice and thank Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. But we're going to pray and we're all going to have a protected week. Can I get a better amen? We're going to be blessed. There's going to be no accidents, no trauma, no terror. You say, why? Because our faith is in the promises. And we got a promise in Psalms 91. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Only with our eyes we behold and see the reward of the wicked. A thousand could fall at our side. Ten thousand are right here. But it will not come nigh us. We walk on serpents, scorpions over all power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. Father, we declare that. We claim it as our own. It is your word unto us. For you said all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. So in our travels, on the airways, the seaways, the railways, the highways, or any other way of travel or transportation, we declare our protection. Father, we thank you also, those that have to work this week, the righteous labor of our hands, as we handle the resource you've given us, thank you. We are not subject to trauma, to, to, uh, to trial, to, to temptation, to evil plans of wicked men, to any kind of accidents. We abide under the shadow of the Most High, thanking you, Lord, for your protection and safety. Thank you, Father, also, for the door of utterance that you give us. Let us go out this week. Let us be great witnesses for you, Father. We are not ashamed to bear your name. Thank you that we, we could even invite somebody to church next week. Somebody sick, somebody hurt, somebody unsafe. Even encourage somebody that, that, we may, that may have used to come to church but doesn't come to church anymore. Lord, that we could encourage them. Let us be an answer to people's prayer this week. A problem to our adversary. Let us be a miracle in someone's life. Fathers, we leave today. We walk in faith and love towards you. For your mercy and your kindness toward us is so overwhelming. We walk in love toward one another, thanking you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.